Welcome to a very special edition of the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout and currently of Sports Info Solutions, joined by football analytics pioneer Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. And we are here to break down round one of the NFL draft, which just finished up. And Aaron, we just finished up that first round with your Patriots picking number 32, getting the number one wide receiver in the SIS football rookie handbook. You feeling good about Nikhil Harry? I do feel very good about Nikhil Harry. He was number three in our playmaker rating. Uh, So the number one receiver in playmaker rating is still on the board, which is Hakeem Butler. But I feel the good about the Patriots taking a a large-sized outside wide receiver. Uh, That feels like a good pick. Uh, But they were not the winners tonight. They got a nice player in the position they were originally picking. But my winners are usually teams that move down the board, teams that get guys who fall down the board. And there are some other teams who I think did really well for themselves tonight. Okay, well, let's flip it. Let's go straight back to the top of the draft, and we'll kind of work our way through pointing out any notable uh, trades or uh, picks that got made that we wanted to talk about. So I thought one through three was kind of just chalk right there at the top. Nothing really remarkable there until kind of the bombshell was dropped at number four with Cleveland Farrell to Oakland. Oh, yeah, that was the bombshell because – our Saxier ratings do not like Cleveland Farrell. I mean, do not feel like he's a top 10 pick. Do not feel like he's a first round pick. He was a very average pass rusher by our ratings. He didn't have a lot of pass defense. His number of sacks was not that high. He didn't have a good explosion index in his combine performance. So he was kind of our, our first round bust, like most likely first round bust of this year's guys and he ends up going before josh allen before brian burns before montez sweat where did that come from man yeah it was incredible to me. i was absolutely shocked at that point uh, you know he's not a player that that's without merit on film or in terms of his, his stat line um, he gets pressures on the quarterback for sure and he's playing with other defensive linemen so the pressure share is going to be a little bit affected by that but I, I what I saw with him was somebody that sometimes it was it was great the film he flashed and it was awesome and sometimes he was invisible he would disappear you wouldn't notice him for for long periods at a time I remember at scout school way back in the fall we all looked at this player together and we really didn't understand the hype after a while we saw the physical measurables on him we saw the explosion sure off the line of scrimmage some hand use here but again it's all in flat and he wasn't consistent so he was our fourth ranked edge in the rookie handbook and he had a strong grade a 6.8 is a strong starter grade that's a high-end three down starter but I thought he was more of a later first rounder with high upside rather than a guy that's a number four pick where like you were saying they kind of passed on some guys that I think were more blue chippers and uh, you know they got to get Khalil Mack type production from him right now if they want to really make you know be able to sell this as being a good pick down the road yeah, the, the SIS handbook was higher on him than Saxier was. So uh, to Saxier, this is crazy. This is a crazy pick. Okay, moving back through, because we're about to get to another crazy pick. Uh, Devin White to Tampa Bay. Nobody's surprised there. Number six, I don't think we were as surprised by this one, but I will give it an even higher, crazier score. Um, Daniel Jones to the Giants. He was our third-ranked quarterback in the rookie handbook. He had a 6.5 grade. That's kind of like an Andy Dalton-level starter. And, uh, you know, Dave Cutcliffe knows quarterbacks better than me. 
But based on the film and the analytics, this is just a, a questionable move. I think uh, I think people will be surprised by who he is. The, the, the Manning comps are crazy. He's more of a, a runner than they realize. He's a Josh oh, Allen type player. Are people copying him to Eli Manning? I hope it's Eli Manning that they're copying him to. You know, you see the side-by-side pictures and you hear the cut-lip cut comparisons. I feel like anything that's talking you into Daniel Jones is something around that kind of aura of just, you know, everything Manning that goes on there. They even kind of look alike. But uh, this guy who ran for over 1,800 yards in the last three years and had and he struggled in terms of on-target percentage, never got above 100 in terms of IQR, really didn't have a lot of success passing the ball. You see negative EPA for him passing, positive rushing. That's more of you know, like a not to bring the, the Duke-UNC rivalry into the picture, but that's more the Mitchell Trubisky uh, type, what he's been doing with the Bears, creating value in the running game, not the passing game. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing more of a runner than people really expect. And, and I, I really think the Josh Allen comp might be, might be the best one with him. You have got to really believe that two things had a dramatic impact on his performance. One, the lack of talent around him at Duke. And two, the fact that he faced the hardest schedule of any of this year's top quarterback prospects. But you have got to put so much weight on those two things to consider Daniel Jones worthy of being the number six overall pick. It just seems kind of crazy. Yeah, uh, enough enough said there. Um, they're going to do everything they can to try to make him look good. They're going to try to create a system around him that that's going to work. You know, they've got a tons of slot receivers and he doesn't like to put the ball down the field. So, so maybe uh, that works into effect, but you know, the, the field's the same size for everybody and you got to use the whole thing. A um, little bit of a head scratcher there, um, but not head scratchers following that pick. I think I thought uh, Josh Allen to Kentucky made uh, of Kentucky to Jacksonville made sense. Hawkinson to the lions makes sense. And then I love Ed Oliver to the Bills. I thought that Whoa, was a slam great dunk Great replacement pick. for Kyle Williams. Beautiful, man. Yeah, and and just you, sometimes when you see the draft picks and you just see the guys put on the hat and uh, start to kind of interact and you just get a feel that he's going to be a real uh, Bills type of player and, and it could be a real impact player for them for a long time. I, I love him on the film and, and I'm kind of excited about the fit that he could have there. Um, you know, they're, they're strong defensively. They've, they've already been strong defensively and like you said, he can replace that Kyle Williams. Yeah, the next pick is the one where we start with some of the head scratching, but that's because, look, we know what analytics teaches. Analytics teaches the only reason to trade up is to try to get that franchise-changing quarterback. Otherwise, you try to trade down. And Pittsburgh, making the big deal with Denver, Pittsburgh, which never trades up, traded the 20th and 52nd, along with their third rounder in 2020, to move up 10 spots to take an off-the-ball linebacker. And I realize their need for an off-the-ball linebacker has been strong ever since the Ryan Shazier injury. But still, that is a lot to give up for Devin Bush. Yeah, um, I love Devin Bush as a prospect. And I'll even take a little bit of a, of a counter stance in, in the sense of I don't think that this is a classic definition of an off-ball linebacker. We think of off-ball linebackers as kind of guys that are kind of like run defender thumpers. Maybe they're only on the field first and second down. This is a three-down player. He's almost a little bit more like like a like a Derwin James-like type guy where he's going to be in a hybrid role and kind of playing all over the field. A little bit more of a true linebacker than that. But, but um, you know, I, I thought he was a borderline blue chip player, just knocking a little bit because of the size concerns on him. But to give up a two this year and a three next year to move up to, to, to take the guy, 
I, I think, you know, looking at it from the Broncos perspective, I think that makes them one of the big winners of the first round, just by virtue of picking up all the, those two extra assets. That's huge. Absolutely. And with the pick, with the 20 pick that they got from the Steelers, they got Noah Fan, who they have not had a tight end in years there. Right. Feels like, feels like it's been a, been a long time. So that seems like a really um, good pick for them. The next pick that, that stood out for me was, was for a different reason. At number 13, Christian Wilkins came on stage and tried to do like a, a bump with Roger Goodell. Kind of like missed man. On <laughs> I thought he might have been coming trying to take a shot at Goodell. Like, it's so I like the pick because he, he, I thought he might, you know, he kind of made it look playful. But then when Goodell didn't want to jump, I thought he gave him a real good bear head, bear hug. Like, he'll probably be feeling that in the morning. No, that was an awesome moment. That was one. That was my favorite moment of the draft since a couple of years ago when Dakaris McKinley came on stage with the picture of his grandmother. Yeah, remember that? That was that's that. This is the best draft moment since that. By the way, my girlfriend kept noticing. She's like, "Do they think anything's going to change every time Goodell came out and they were still booing him?" She was like. <laughs> He's gotten the message. Like, do they have to still boo him? And I'm like, oh yeah, they they still have to boo him. Um, yeah, no, um, that's funny. I'm sure she'll learn over time as uh, as she spends more time learning about the evils. Yeah, moving through. Uh, next interesting thing to happen, I thought though, is Dwayne Haskins falling into the Redskins' lap. Um, they didn't have to trade up to get him. I thought it made a lot of sense there. I don't know if he presents a long-term upgrade from Kirk Cousins or even from Alex Smith, really, but I think he brings a lot of similar qualities to the table and his his ability to get the ball out of his hands, keep the offense on schedule. Maybe not going to be a guy that puts his game on the back, puts the game on his back and wins it for you, but somebody that I think can be more than competent and be a starting-level quarterback for years to come. You have to take the shot at the franchise quarterback when you have the chance and you have the need. And the fact that they didn't have to trade up to take the shot, they are the big winners of round one for two two reasons. One, they got the shot at the franchise quarterback without having to trade up. And two, they got Montez Sweat drop into their laps at number 26. I'm sorry to skip forward a little bit, but since we're talking yeah. about Washington, Montez Sweat should have gone a lot earlier. They had him drop into their laps in part because of this weird incorrect health you know, report that he got at the combine. And that's a really great haul for Washington. They have a really dangerous front seven now. Yeah, I'm with you. Montez Sweat to be there at 26 was just unbelievable to me. I don't know how he dropped so far. I know there was character concerns from back at Michigan State. I know there was the medical, but then it seemed like a rumor, and then I don't know what. But Washington has to come away from the first round feeling great. They get their quarterback. They get somebody who could be a difference-making pass rusher. I know our John Todd keeps a very close eye on the Redskins, and he was really happy to see both of those things transpire. Um, so it's certainly an interesting day there for the Redskins. We'll, we'll get back to touching on that 26 pick, uh, in a bit, because I want to talk about the other side of it, but let's keep moving through back to the giants onto the board. Again, I thought, uh, your old buddy, Bill Barnwell was funny. Um, he, he commented that, um, what was it? The giants traded away snacks, Harrison, and then traded away Odell Beckham and uses the draft pick that they got for Odell Beckham to, draft Dexter Lawrence to replace Max Harrison. <laughs> it was, yeah, uh, Dave Gettleman is always on the cutting edge of the NFL. And right now, let's <laughs> be honest, the cutting edge of the NFL is two down defensive tackles that stop the run. That is where your energy goes, baby. Hey, I, you know, 
Dexter Lawrence, for, uh, for what it's worth, I'll say, I think he's the type of nose that can actually sometimes play on third down. He can, pre- he can push the pad, the, the, the pocket as a pass rusher. I don't question him as a player here, but I do just think the whole thing is funny at this point. And as you pointed out, we have no reason to have faith in Gettleman at all. He expounded upon it in another tweet that if you actually think about it, they traded Snacks Harrison and let Collins go and then traded Mm. Beckham to replace both Harrison and Collins (laughs) because Jabril Peppers. Yeah, just just genius stuff. I'm, I'm... Still waiting for the uh, Olivier Vernon move, I guess. So that's the Giants doing the Giants. But then at 18, Garrett Bradbury to the Vikings. I absolutely love that pick. I think he helps their entire offense. Elfline slides over to guard where he played really well in college. And I think suddenly the Vikings might have a respectable first offensive line for the first time in, in that I can remember since before Teddy Bridgewater was there. Yep, that'll be really good for them. And then Tennessee at 19 takes the red shirt, right? I wouldn't have thought Tennessee was mm-hmm. the team to not try to make an impact this year, but they take Jeffrey Simmons, who might have been a top five pick, if not for tearing his ACL, and they'll just red shirt in the year. And Tennessee's not a team I would expect to do that because they, it feels like they need that one or two players to get them over the nine and seven hump. But, I mean, Simmons has got a ton of talent. Yeah, I thought I thought uh, the Mississippi State guys, I thought Simmons was the one with the character slash medical concerns that was going to make him drop. And it ended up being sweat that dropped further. Uh, it, you know, it, as it comes to the Titans, they, they got to hope that he's going to maybe be a, a PUP candidate and you could get him back for the second half of the season, potentially, because I, I don't know that they have the time to just be patient and, and you know, bring in red shirts. Uh, it seems like a, a questionable way to be building things. For, for where they're at as a franchise. Right, Denver with the Noah fan pick, and then at number 21, Green Bay trades up to take Darnell Savage. I wanted to point this one out because the Seahawks traded down to accumulate picks, and Evan Silva pointed out they ended up picking up three fourth-rounders and an early fifth-rounder for moving from 21 to 37. So over the course of a couple of different moves, they pick up four draft picks, three fours and one five. Uh, really interesting maneuvering there for the Seahawks, getting some extra picks back that they had lost. Yeah. Um, I really like the, the, the moves of the Seahawks the past few days that we've seen since they re-upped with Wilson, traded away Frank Clark, and you see the slide down here as they were in a part of the draft where there's not really great value. The guys that are going here in the 20s aren't really separating themselves from what they're going to get at 37. So I, I thought it was nice moves for them. Seahawks definitely one of the biggest winners. Vince Verhey pointed out on Twitter, that um, if you use the Chase Stewart draft chart, essentially the Seahawks created a second round pick out of thin air because the value of those fourths and whatever and fifth, when you add them all together, equal like an early second round pick. And this is why we say trade down. And then yet on the number 22 pick, I want to talk about a trade up that I like because when you do accumulate those picks, you can get in position where you can make the right trade to move up. And that's what the Eagles did. They traded up to get above Houston. They traded up only three spots. Three spots. They jump Houston. They take Andre Dillard. I thought it was well executed. And then the Texans end up taking Titus Howard. I know Justin was shocked to see Titus Howard there. He was telling me that he thought Howard might have been a nice sleeper as like a third rounder or something like that. 
you know, a guy that showed out down at down at the Senior Bowl when we were down there, but not somebody who anybody thought was really a first round pick. Um, like Cleveland Farrell, I think he would have been available at least a dozen picks later. So if you want to take him, find a way to trade down, do your homework. Uh, Nate Cooper studied this play for us and didn't love him. I was I surprised. Him up. He by was your pick. number ten offensive tackle. Number ten. Ten. Backup grade. It's a backup grade. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I was surprised by this pick and, and unfortunately for, for Houston, I think they were surprised by it too. No, that I think, uh, Rivers McCown said Houston never knows how to trade up. They never get an idea of who might jump them for a player. And they didn't think about Philadelphia jumping them for a player that somebody would trade with Baltimore. Man, you really thought you'd like to have a better backup plan. Speaking of, uh, another, uh, questionable decision-making, uh, the Raiders, number 24, a pick later, trading up to take a running back. Um, now, I can say you can bet that Jacobs is going to get stats because Gruden isn't going to invest this kind of draft capital on a running back and then not use him. So I, I like the talent on him. I, I should interrupt you. At least we should give them credit for not trading up. This is actually the Khalil Mack pick. Excuse me. I take it back, Mia culpa. Regardless, the draft capital there using the Khalil Mack pick. I don't, I don't know if that makes it better or worse actually now that I think about it, but using that draft pick and then, uh, you know, great talent, but the combination of sending the scouts home, then passing on the consensus blue chippers for a consensus reach at the top of the draft and then drafting a running back in round one to top things off. I think there are real questions about the process that's going on there in, in that organization. And it's going to be around for a while. And you guys like him a lot better than we do because the back cast really did not like Josh Jacobs. If you look yeah, at the if you 40, don't like the player, it gets even worse. <laughs> yes. When you look at the 40 time and you look at the fact that he, he was less efficient on a yards per carry basis. I know he was very efficient on a success rate basis, but on a yards per carry basis, he was less efficient than his two teammates at Alabama. Back cast doesn't even really like the player that much. Um, next pick in the draft, though, was Marquise Brown joining Lamar Jackson with the Ravens. That's a fun one. I'm excited to see what that deep threat looks like in that offense. You excited for that one, too? Three Heisman winners. Marquise Brown has played with three Heisman winners. He goes from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Lamar Jackson. And uh, he was the number two uh, playmaker rating wide receiver, the number one in playmaker score, which accounts for opportunity uh, and draft status. And uh, I think that's a great pick. Baltimore needed wide receivers immediately. He will Badly. start right away. Yep, helps that team speed. And then at 26, the team speed, we talked about Montez Sweat going to the skins. But on the other side of that trade was the Colts trading out of the first round. They, in my opinion, maybe have the best first run round one of any team without even picking. They trade out of this spot, move down 20 slots to the middle of the second round, and then they pick up a free second round pick next year. I think this is a heist that is a similar caliber to the Mark Ingram trade that I often talk about when I was with New Orleans and we traded uh, up to get into the first round with a second round pick and gave up our second round pick the next year. Um, you know, I don't think it's like the Colts won't get good players in this draft. They pick 30, 34, 46, and 59 in the second round, and then they're already sitting pretty for next year. Uh, you know, Chris Ballard with the master class. That, that is the one downside for Washington in this first round is that they, that they had to trade a pick in order to move up to get Montez Sweat. I mean, it's a really nice haul, but yeah, losing that pick is a problem. 
I think that the internal discussions might have been that they were prepared to give up a pick to trade up for the quarterback if they have to. And when that didn't materialize and they were able to get the quarterback by, by sitting still, I think they thought, okay, we've got some house money here. Let's go get this player that we thought was a top 10 talent, top five talent, whatever it is. And then rounding out, uh, we talked uh, a little bit about Nikhil Harry to the Patriots at 32. I think Brady's going to love him on those ISO routes that used to go to Gronkowski. I think he fits in taking a lot of those in the three-by-ones. Um, and then, you know, DeAndre Baker, a couple slots earlier, I'll give Gettleman a little bit of credit there. I do like DeAndre Baker. He was my favorite corner in the draft, top of the football rookie handbook. Um, interesting there, just Nikhil Harry, DeAndre Baker. I think those are two guys that went towards the end of the first round that are going to provide a lot more value than a lot of the guys that were drafted before them, which, again, underscores the value of trading down. Yeah, but they traded to get that pick. Uh, yep. They traded uh, a couple of different picks to Seattle. So uh, one guy I want to bring up is LJ Collier. That's who Seattle took when they needed a defensive end. They took with the pick that they got for Frank Clark, uh, number 29, and he does very badly in sacks here. He had an extremely poor explosion index, did not actually have a lot of sacks in college, and a very, very, very bad three-cone time. 7.71 is the worst three-cone time of any of the edge rushers that were invited to the combine this year. Yeah, um, I, I was looking because uh, Matty Brown, he's an awesome Twitter follower. He tweeted out um, the SIS pressure stats, noting that Collier had good pressure stats compared to other five techniques that were available, the three-technique, five-technique guys, as we group those position groups together. So being able to produce for, as a pass rusher from that kind of five-tech position I think is a good skill to have. So hopefully that's what's seen through a little bit more right there because he's not your traditional edge rusher. And so I think that's why he probably struggles compared to some of those more, you know, sacksier prone guys. Yeah, he's, he's larger like the, um, shoot, what's the name of the guy who played that position for Seattle? Clemens. You know, Seattle likes to have one of their two defensive ends be larger. So that's, I guess, where Collier fits in. Um, all right. Um, let's take just one look around. A couple of other things to touch on. No Drew Locke today. Drew Locke did not get drafted. Um, I think that was a, a positive surprise for me. What did you think of that? I mean, you know, he didn't stand out as a first rounder to me, so I'm not too surprised to see him drop into the second. Uh, it also wouldn't be surprising to see him go, you know, I guess fairly early in the second, but you look at teams and you're like, who would take him? Oakland maybe would take him. Uh, you know, right. I don't know what the landing spot is. And, and you would have thought they might've traded up to get that 50 year option if they, if they were really interested. And by the way, that goes with the player that everybody was talking about on the NFL network over and over again, which is what on earth is Arizona going to do with Josh Rosen? Are they really going to keep him as the backup, which economically makes some sense, but as far as massaging human egos, I just, you know, you feel like they could get more for him from somebody, but who would that be? Would it be the Chargers? Would it be the Patriots? Like who, you know, is Josh Rosen going to get traded somewhere where he can become an heir apparent? Right. I, you know, I love the, uh, the Dolphins as a potential landing spot there. I think the Dolphins mindset is much more about going after quarterbacks next year. You know, I, I don't see why, why you just throw a year away in terms of trying to solve that quarterback position because all of a sudden, if you don't figure it out and get it right next year, then, then you're done as far as you, your tenure. Um, oh, I it, think it's it, the idea of building around that position and then filling in that position last, maybe where they're going. But I don't know. Maybe Miami would be interested in him. Or maybe we're talking well, about like, a third rounder. 
it's not like Fitzpatrick is exactly a, a tank style quarterback, you, you know, du jour. He's kind of, he's probably going to win too many games for you, you know, at some point by making, by doing some of that magic. It's magic, baby. Okay, some awesome players available tomorrow. I'm looking forward to the receivers, DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown, the Mississippi guys. I'm looking forward to some corners. We didn't see a lot of those guys off the board either. Greedy Williams and Byron Murphy at the top of the board. And then some of the tackles. We talked a lot about Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford. Haven't seen those guys come off yet. I'm looking forward to seeing where those guys land. And hopefully, you know, just the whole the whole first round seemed just a little bit disappointing overall tonight. I don't know. Did you feel like just a little bit disappointed overall? Or does, does grabbing Nikhil Harry at number 32 just kind of massage that a little bit? No, you know, it was a first round. There's good players. I think part of the reason why it seems less exciting is from a fantasy football perspective, it was less exciting because this is the latest in the draft that it ever went where no running backs and wide receivers are taken. So from a sort of a fantasy football perspective, this wasn't exciting. But, I mean, there was some interesting stuff going on in this first round. Yeah, I, lo- I love my big boys. So I'm not going to get mad about those guys going over, over the fantasy, fantasy uh, people. We knew it was a defensive line first draft. That's what we knew it was all about defensive line this year. And this round, this first round was a lot of defensive line. It was, in, in sometimes in peculiar orders with, uh, you know, Farrell up high and Daniel Jones sprinkled in there and, and stuff like that. But, but uh, overall, a lot of teams got better up front. I'm with you there. All right. This has been a very special edition of the Off the Charts Football Podcast. Please check out the SIS Data Hub. Go to sisdatahub.com. There are free trials available all weekend long throughout the NFL draft. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you will be able to sign up for a free account to the Sports Info Solutions Data Hub, and you can check out all the different tools that are available there and kind of kick the tires on all the different stats as you start to see who these new players are that are joining your teams. And of course, you can get all the information in the SIS Football Rookie Handbook available on Amazon. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the rest of the draft.